Good morning, I'm Paul, host of the new PL Monthly Business Book Review Club, and I'm very grateful you've taken the time to join us today. The new PL Monthly Business Book Review Club series is sponsored by Carroll Consultancy Group, who are focused on dramatically developing people, performance, and profits. So if you want to accelerate your business growth in 2021, go to carrollconsultancy.com or connect via the links in the notes that accompany this podcast. We believe business needs a new PL one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Today's the new PL Business Book Review Club guest is Sarah Kay. She's the author of Brand New World, founder of Create a Bold Future, a global brand advisor, and the former head of global brand innovation for Nike. Sarah believes that brands exist to benefit humanity, not the other way around. So we need to make brands work harder for us. She specializes in futures thinking and often partners with CEOs and CMOs to help them define the role of their brand in creating a bold future for humanity and for the planet. So Sarah, a very warm welcome to the new PL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. It's really exciting. Yeah, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, we're here today to discuss your brilliant new book, Brand New World. So it'd be great if you could start the conversation by, I guess, giving listeners a bit of an understanding as to why you wrote the book now and what's the background to it. Uh, yeah, a really good question to start with. So, um, you know, I just come off the back of um, 30 years almost uh, in corporate land. And um, I, I had a burning desire to just capture the learnings that I mm -hmm. had. Um, I'd spent many years out in the, um, you know, in the world, speaking to people, speaking to Gen Z, millennials, um, and obviously being surrounded by, um, thankfully, some of the world's best minds. And so I just wanted to try and take a snapshot of that knowledge um and reflect some of those conversations that that I'd been lucky enough to be in yeah. um and so that's really what the book is it's like a snapshot in time hopefully it catches captures the um spirit of, of where people are at um and it does raise more questions than answers um which is what I love about it so really for me it's um, it's, it's a briefing really to the work that needs to happen next. So I take that very seriously and, and maybe that's the work that, you know, I can, I can find in the work in the world and that I do in the world, um, to start to chip away at some of those answers as well. I also really believe that creating the future isn't hard. Mm -hmm. I believe that, um, it, it can feel scary um to people and i believe that people have enough going on in their daily lives not to want to think about it but i really did also want to demystify the opportunity to i guess have a point of view in your own destiny so um whether that's as an individual or as a collective i feel like uh, i just wanted to demystify the process a little bit and at least share how i do it whether that's useful to people or not do you, do you feel that, you know, that a lot of people feel a lack of individual and collective power in the world at the moment, both business and personal? And I guess what you're suggesting there is 
you know, big change is, is only a series of incremental small steps, isn't it? You know, and we, we look at all the challenges we have in the world today, they seem huge, but if we take committed small steps towards them, as you suggest, then they are achievable. It's just trying to find the milestones between what we need to achieve and where we are now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, every action that you take every day can contribute towards the future. Um, yes. And if you're mindful about what those actions are, those tiny steps that you can take every day, um, then they do build to something more and bigger. And so it's just really building upon that principle. It's not to say that you have to have, you know, this giant overwhelming moonshot and it feels just so intangible that you'll you you know it makes you feel like you can't get there it's very much about you know how can you point your everyday actions in the direction of the place you want to go so yeah yeah there are significant sections of the book that focus on the importance of purpose both professional and and personal and you suggest that brands that are decades old can often drift over time from their reason for being and their purpose and in the absence of that um they solely become product and profit focused. And we can all think of many examples of that, I would imagine. However, there's also a growing school of thought in some quarters that suggests that purpose can't be retrofitted back into an organization. Once you've lost it, you've lost it. So I wanted to get your view on that, whether you feel it can be retrofitted or once it's lost its purpose, has it lost it for good? It's a really interesting question because um, I have heard that too in the conversations that I've had. Um, obviously, it's very it's easier to begin with a purpose um, and stay with that than it might be to retrofit something. But um, but I don't buy the argument, frankly. <laughs> I feel like every brand starts with a purpose in mind, and if that brand has stayed true um, to serving its consumers or serving you know serving its its community then it shouldn't be too far away from its purpose somewhere uh, in there the purpose is still um, alive and, and well it might have just been overwhelmed a little bit by profit or um, survival through covid mm -hmm. or um, or something else but I honestly believe that humans when humans decide to make something happen they can make it happen and so it's just a question of deciding, do you want your purpose back? Are you brave enough to take it back? Are you bold enough to, um, to make a decision or make a choice that you're going to say yes to taking it back, which means you might have to give something up on the flip side, yeah. um, but it's entirely possible. We just have to decide. So yeah, I believe I don't buy that you can't get, you can't be purposeful. Or that you've become too big to be purposeful. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the argument that you can't retrofit purpose because I think no purpose remains static anyway. A purpose changes mm -hmm. every six months, every three months, every every week in, in some cases. And whatever purpose a business has, and however purposeful it is, it, it is only a reflection or a shadow or a shade or a version of the purpose it was when it launched the business 30 years ago. It has to evolve. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the business is no longer relevant. I think also it's important to define your understanding of purpose. Um, yes, there's a lot true. of companies that um, just use it as a as a vanilla word that they yeah. paste upon their three-year strategy. Um, and 
you know, really what purpose is, is like, what's the, what's the role of your brand or business in, in the world? Um, yes. What role does it play? Um, and, and if you can articulate your definition of purpose and what you really mean by that, then that's a really good start uh, yeah. to making it not feel so um, challenging to have a purpose. Agreed. You mentioned in the book, um, creating a new reality starts with leaders embracing a new mindset, one that is open, curious, creative, visionary, imaginative, purposeful, and ethical. It's a topic that comes up a lot on the new PL, as you would imagine. Um, and I often ask, what is the incentive for many businesses that are doing just fine in the status quo to create that new mindset? You know, how do you encourage a leader in a positive position at the moment to work what is effectively against their own or seemingly effectively against their own best interests in the short to medium term, particularly when they are rewarded on the basis of short to medium term performance? Um, so first of all, the, um, the words that you mentioned uh, in the start of that question, creating a new reality starts with leaders, embracing a new mindset, that is taken um, from some insights that I gleaned um, a few years ago, um, speaking to Gen Z and millennials around the world, that mm -hmm. is what they expect um, brands to how they how they how they expect brands to behave and and what they expect their the brand's mindset to be, and they envisage that the brand the leadership of brands is or is in that space, and and if it's if it's not, then it should be right. So they're giving permission for brands to embrace this space, um, and I've. You know, so I take it directly from what I've heard. Um, I think that it's hard to be a leader in a brand today. Mm -hmm. um, you are very much caught in the middle between growth, <laughs> frankly, yeah. um, and running the business and um, shaping the future. And it will always be attention and it always should be. And I think what I'm trying to get to with the book is an argument which suggests that you can have growth and um, an innovative mindset at mm -hmm. the same time, which sounds kind of obvious, but it doesn't often happen. Like to, to take steps to be really innovative, you really do have to also have a bit of distance from... Um, the day-to-day -day reality almost yes. um so i feel like if you're that person and you're in an organization and you're busy doing the work every day all day and you feel the pressure of that as everybody does um i think listening to your own instinct mm -hmm. about what you want to do and where you want to be able to contribute in this space is really important because I do also feel that um, you can do, you can redirect your own intention um, even if you find yourself in that space where you're you, you really just you know nose to the grindstone you can redirect um, your own intention and therefore um, have that come out in the work that you do so I think there are small things that you can do and there are also big things that you can do so um, you know, in terms of rewarding people for uh, short-term performance and long-term performance, um, you can certainly, as a CEO or a CMO, um, write that into your performance reviews, write that into your objectives. You can um, 
you know, you can you can build the strategy around those sorts of things. There, there are so many things from both individual action to strategic action to also speaking to the board about um, how to best in, you know, what 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 is a definite definition of success or a new definition definition of success that the uh, board the board can um, give also to the CEO and the CMO and and build in that performance management um, against a new vision of success. So, I mean, it's at every single level. I just, I, I feel like those people um, who um, don't believe that it's possible to achieve both aren't thinking creatively enough about solving that problem. Do you think brands, business, the, the, the sort of the culture that permeates business at the moment needs to reevaluate what is an acceptable level of profit or growth to enable a more purpose-led business to to come to the fore? Do you think there is a a mindset change in that regard as well, that we can't just have never-ending growth, never-ending profitability, but actually there there needs to be a balance, a a more conservative assessment of what those, the roles those two elements play in a business? I think that that could, I think, yes, you could do that. And I don't think enough consideration has been given to the fact that you can continue to grow and do it in a responsible way I really do think that that is the um the bit that um we're not really opening up our enough mind space to to think about um and frankly to be able to invest in some of the innovations that we need Mm. to be able to create that long-term view we have to keep uh, brands on the growth trajectory yes. it's not one or the other the money's got to come from somewhere mm-hmm. into the private sector to in- invest in all of these things that are required so i believe that you can have growth and just do it in a way that's um generative and not extractive in the world yeah, yeah. you touched on your previous answer on the demands or the requests that gen z and millennials have in terms of their relationship with brands and what they look for from leaders and and from the brands they engage with. And it often seems to me that we're in an odd kind of paradox from a consumer and an employee perspective. We we ask more than ever from the brands and the leaders we engage with, as I say, but we're often prepared to personally compromise similar principles that we ask of others, you know, purchasing a fast fashion or throwaway consumer items or um, asking for purpose, but ultimately purchasing on price. I wondered from your perspective, how do we balance this contradiction in our minds? Have have we as consumers, have we abdicated our personal responsibility onto brands? This I find a fascinating question. And I used to hear this a lot in my um, previous um, work. Um, I might just jump to something yeah, um, yeah. and we can um, yeah. we can talk about it. But, you know, hypothetically, if you give a person the two exact same products um, and they're exactly the same price from a brand that they love. And you can explain to them that one of these products can save the planet and humanity from disaster. (laughs) And the other product will is guaranteed to destroy the planet and humanity. Um, They're probably going to choose the one that saves the planet, right? And saves humanity. But what rarely happens is that choice you you, um thinking of all the consumer products that you can buy in the supermarket 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's rare that you'll be presented with two exact same products, two exact, uh, exactly the same price from a brand you love, but one saves the planet and one destroys it. Yes. What you're often presented with as a consumer is, oh, that product over there, which comes in that kind of packaging at that kind of price and you know doesn't have the chemicals in it for example that are going to do the deep clean that you want or you can buy this product over here that's filled with chemicals a bit more expensive it's a brand like they're not comparable choices and so I don't feel like it's fair um, to surmise that the consumer is saying one thing and doing another that they're just not being given the right choices. So I think you have to start with a fair choice. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. And I hear it all the time. I hear, you know, from, from business leaders in in my previous world um, that people say one thing and do the other. Well, they do because that's the choice you're giving them. So, um, you know, we need to. How how do we find that comparable choice? How do we, or how do businesses provide the comparable choice? What is the, they just need to provide a comparable choice i mean (laughs) you really you either i think it's up to brands to make the choice that what's available is going to do the right thing or give people if you really want to do the test give build the comparable product yes you know build one tesla that um does something more positive and build a tesla that destroys the planet and ask people which one do they want like and it's same price same color same everything um build the, the build the shoe that does the same thing build the cleaning product build the you know whatever it is like um until you give people or somebody somebody takes control of giving people product that or service that um that does the right thing you'll never actually ha- have the right answer to the question yeah yeah you mentioned in the book that a, a brand leader as a brand leader with a great deal of resources at your fingertips, it's important to reflect upon whether you're compelled to nudge the future in a particular direction in alignment with where you believe the world needs to go, um, where macro trends in society is pointing, or whether you're content to ride the wave of short-term tactics for reliable profit. And we, we witnessed earlier this year the Basecamp announcement, which I'm sure you're familiar with, which effectively stated that they were extricating themselves from the social or political issues that surround everyone in the world and focusing just on products. And we've had others, other similar announcements and there will probably be others um, to follow. What's your view on how this will play out over the medium term? Do you think it's possible, acceptable, realistic for a brand to extract itself from the social and political issues that must invariably impact on its own employees? My point of view is that um, brands are powerhouses Mm -hmm. that can play a role in creating a better future for everybody. And since brands are controlled by human beings, I guess it's up to us how we would like to deploy them in the world. Um, They're sandwiched in between governments and multilateral agencies um, who have been um, in a position to direct the future for quite some time. And they're sandwiched at the other end of the spectrum between 7.8 billion people, uh, individuals who don't have the 
a, a collective organization that can speak for them. Yes. And my view is that if a brand, so the question becomes, what is the role for brands? Either they can carry on going down their current pathway uh, or they can become the voice of collectives um, who share the same values, who share the same vision for the world. And it's a way of um, amalgamating the collective voices of millions and billions of people in some cases. If you think of some of the world's most powerful brands, um, almost every human being on the planet has probably heard of them. So, you know, it comes back down to, do we as the human race believe in our own survival and the opportunity for that and taking a step back, what tools do we have at our disposable, uh, our disposal to make that more secure, more quickly and brands are a vehicle to do that. So I guess it really depends on as a human race, how much we care about the survival of humanity and the health of the planet. Mm -hmm. And it really depends on, do we think we've got better vehicles than brands? Do we trust the governments and the multilateral agencies to do that job on our behalf? Or can we organize collectively in such a way that gives us more power to balance out the imbalance that currently exists? And brands are a really good way to do that because they exist they're successful because they um, have a they have a set of values that people resonate with and that people invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if those brands just passed that investment along and reinvested it back into the community and the planet that we all share, then you know you kind of close the circle. And I don't know how it's going to play out over the medium term. I guess I wrote the book because. I wanted to pose the question, how do you want it to play out over the medium term? Because now's the time to decide, right? Yes, yeah. You, and you've, you've touched on it in that answer and, and you also discuss it in the book that we've lost some trust in government over recent years and there are many surveys out at the moment that, that uh, demonstrate that as well and that brands have, I guess, a unique opportunity right at the moment to take the lead in many areas, social justice, the environment and so on. But I guess on the flip side, many industries have a fairly poor record in terms of self-regulation. That's why government regulation is there in many respects. So in order for brands to work on behalf of the collective good, what sort of leadership is needed at the top of industry to ensure that responsibility is embraced? I love this question because I current I believe that the current People who would place themselves at the top of industry today are not, in my opinion, the people who should be regulating what's needed over the next 10 or 20 years. Um, I believe that the people, so for, so around, I think it is 63% of the world's population is under the age of 40. Mm -hmm. And those same people are the ones that will be creating the solutions that we need, new solutions, innovative solutions, and go on the journey with that innovation um, over the next 10 or 20 years too. So I feel like those people are best placed to regulate Mm -hmm. the future, let's say, or regulate what's needed to enable us to create this future. Um, I feel like people 
and this is a massive generalization, but <clears throat> the sense that I get from speaking to people is that it's just not, we're not going to move fast enough if the current structure is the one that builds the yeah. regulation. Yeah. You, you and it, on... neither is it going to be creative enough or innovative enough or bold enough. And it's not, they're not going to allow the younger generations to push the boundaries as far as they need to be pushed in order to move as quickly as we need to move. So I just think that they're just the wrong people to be building regulation. So you've, you've mentioned their creativity and innovation and then the, the being creative section of your book, you mentioned that we are essentially not trained to find and unleash our purpose. Um, and, and absolutely, I agree, this is generally true. How does business then pick up the slack that is left in that, in that regard from the educational system? How do we, as business leaders and business people, encourage our employees to find purpose at that stage of their lives and and collectively work with the brands to to create that future that you that you talk about this is a question that i feel completely unqualified to answer but i will give you an answer <laughs> <laughs> you know i feel like there's a lot that um, the traditional education system could do um, i would need a month probably to get back to you in terms of specifics but really going through that filter of creative thinking um, you know, whether that's self-directed education or whether that's more in the space of the Montessori schools for kids mm -hmm. at a younger age, whether it's the, um, you know, the critical thinking skills development and all of this exists in pockets, but it's not, you know, it's not necessarily, um, it's not what we're based upon. Um, and then, you know, as you move through late teens and early twenties, um, I personally believe that just having exposure to as many experiences as you can is really critical to building your own opinions about um, what's needed. So travel or uh, working or uh, internships, or, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you're breaking your brain in some kind, in some kind of healthy way um, and really uh, stretching your perspectives and having conversations with people about about what you believe is is you know what you see um all of that i mean it's all informal um but all of that is really important to be able to um have an opinion about what's needed and then as you transition into organizations um one thing that i feel is um, just something to watch out for is through COVID, prior to COVID and through COVID, obviously most corporations have had to consider their digital futures, their online futures. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, we're building um, a generation that is really good at, you know, the digital world, really good at um, the URL piece of life. But are we encouraging as many people to have in real life experiences mm -hmm. and are we encouraging people to think strategically in their roles or do we just everybody's on the hunt for digital natives everybody's on the hunt for somebody who can build you um you know a community online everyone's i mean the news about the metaverse um recently um terrifies me because okay well it's new and it's different and it's going to stretch your mind in a different way but i 
humans are real creatures. Life is a real thing. Um, the planet is a real thing and we really do need it right now. Um, and so if, if everybody's pointing down a, you know, a particular direction, which is very cerebral and not having these real life experiences, I think we're really doing ourselves a disservice. And it's up to organizations as much as it is to schools, as much as it is the government. And, and it's on us as individuals to make sure that we're developing human beings in a way that can be helpful. Yeah. Part of that is creative thinking. And again, you've highlighted that yeah. in the book that um, you've discussed with a, with a range of enterprises and leaders, the challenges of creative thinking or implementing creative thinking into business. And you list a, a range of barriers out of those barriers, what was the most prominent from those you spoke to? What are the, the biggest challenges they have? Because you read the World Economic Forum or reports from the Big Four or many other reports out there at the moment, everyone talks about creative thinking and the top three assets for employees. Yet there seems to be this disconnect between the desire for it and the ability to implement it. Mm, and yes, I agree. And so just for people listening, these were the things that we listed. Um, as barriers of uh, to creative thinking and this comes straight from the interviews from people so personal limiting beliefs a fear of the unknown and a fear of failure flying below below the radar to stay safe and employed the fact that creating change at scale is not easy corporate politics means risk of exclusion from your peer group a lack of direction or prioritized resources from leadership and lack of permission time space and incentive um, I would say that um, there was three that kept coming back. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is around incentive. Um, everyone from board members to CEOs to CMOs to other senior brand leaders that I spoke to um, spoke about what's the incentive. Mm -hmm. So until the board has an agreement with Wall Street or its owners or the CEO until they have that discussion and that agreement as to you know what they're prepared to define as success yes. um, people will struggle um, with that question and I don't know I don't have an answer it's something that plays on my mind actually a lot is should that be the next piece of work that I dive in, into which could be around well how do you incentivize what is a new vision of success and there are things out there of course there are new scorecards and there are lots of things out there but there's still a gap in terms of making that mm -hmm. real by way of an incentive the second one was um, lack of time and space so everyone's super focused on today survival especially now um, and creating time and space was really at the forefront of everybody's minds. Everybody that I spoke to was like, hang on a minute, I just need to get this sorted before I can think about that as opposed to thinking, okay, well, if um, the actions that I take today or build towards something, I don't constantly need to separate today and mm -hmm. tomorrow. I can actually know that what I do today is tomorrow. So um, that was something to think about. And the third one was personal limiting beliefs. So um, a lot of people who spend a lifetime in the corporate space feel, um, and I'm talking like now sort of 30 to 40 year olds beyond, feel exhausted. Mm. Um, and um, 
you know, the personal limiting beliefs is um, I just didn't know that that was my role. I hadn't thought about my role like that um, or I'm not sure I have the skills for that or wow, that sounds um, so ambitious and audacious. I'm not sure that's me um, or it feels scary. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's quite a lot of fear in, um, in, in thinking that you're the person that can direct where humanity goes and so yeah there, there was a few things in there it's really quite interesting did you because it's something that comes up in some of the conversations i i have did you get the impression from anyone that some of the resistance is because some leaders and management teams don't understand the creative process themselves and it almost comes from a place of a place of fear that you know, your, your ego inevitably comes into play that you don't want to introduce something that you don't fully understand. Of course, absolutely. And certainly for, you know, anyone who is 10 years out from retirement, um, you know, there's no rocking of the boat in, in, in that space, um, usually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. The ego does get in the way. Um, very much and there is a lot of fear but again it comes back to i i personally feel um like this um <laughs> i feel like the uh, my vision of creating a better world burns inside me so i can't walk i can't walk away from it um you know, for some people, they feel the same way about their family and doing the right thing for their family. And so they don't, they don't feel like they've got the choice to, yes. um, to, to make some of the decisions that I might make, for example, but that's why we all have to work together and bring our, our strengths because some people are creating the future of humanity quite literally, um, you know, with families and, um, investing in that yeah. and, and I'm creating it in a different way. Um, so I think that that's what makes us a team and that's why we have to be conscious of, um, what is it that we're trying to create and can we get a better sense of each of our roles in that? Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, if you're so inclined as a leader, um, you can bring that to bear in your role. Um, somebody, you know, if you're, if you're a leader of a team of one or a hundred or 200 people, or you're a leader of a brand that touches 7 billion people around the world, it behooves you to think about your influence on yes. that and what are you trying to create? Yeah, very true, very true. You, you provided some examples in the book of brands that have made a stand for a better world. The examples you gave was when Coca-Cola and Delta stood up for voting rights for the Georgia 16, Nike and H&M were boycotted by China because they removed cotton sourced from China over concerns in their supply chains. One of the, the challenges I think brands have is that we live in a very cynical world and it's very hard to judge where the line is between symbolism, pragmatism and true authenticity in a brand's actions. What's your view on how we assess the authenticity of a brand or a leader's commitment to causes or social issues or the environment or whatever it happens to be? How do we, how do we know it's coming from an authentic place? I would say consistency. Um, does a brand or leader's actions match their words over time? Mm -hmm. um, are they consistent internally to externally? Um, are they prepared to take a risk and take a stand 
um, and invite the wrath of those people who don't like it? Um, are they inviting the evolution of society? Are they pushing on the boundaries? And do they consistently do that? Or are they doing that um, just you know, when it's cool to do yes. that? Yeah. Um, and you know, there are brands like Ben & Jerry's who are taking action patagonia takes action i mean they're consistent over time and they back it up right mm -hmm. through their organization um there are other organizations who talk a really good game but then don't match that intention yes. internally or externally you know um so everybody i think everybody's in a different place with it um and it does take a lot of reflection to be honest with yourself, I might say that, but it doesn't mean that the organization does that. Um, and I don't build my systems around supporting that action. So I think you have to be, you have to take a step back and really look through the, through the entire line or look at your company end to end and, and really ask yourself, are we doing what we say we're going to do? Or are we saying that? Cause it's, really cool thing to say but actually we don't really make a difference we don't change anything on the inside yeah you were until very recently head of global brand innovation at nike and i wanted to understand how your time at nike influenced the approach to this book i mean obviously it's written in a moment in time and you've spoken to many other leaders but you've you've been the head of global innovation or brand innovation just wanted to understand how that fed and, and colored the book that you've written I would say that my time at Nike taught me so many things and my own personal journey was one where I was in a space where I could really connect with what I believed in and I could really bring that to bear on mm -hmm. the, the, the roles that I had and I was very lucky and it was a very luxurious space to be um to be there so i think that uh, my time at nike has um, allowed me to develop this point of view it's allowed me to back it up it's allowed me to say i don't have the answers to these questions um but at least i hope that this book is a collection of questions that then you know, we can, I can find um, like-minded people to help mm -hmm. solve some of the problems or at least put a point of view forward to, um, to move the, move the needle. And I think my time at Nike just taught me patience, um, yes. the power of brands, obviously. Um, and the fact that it is a journey, it doesn't, there's no start and finish point to this, um, this space um we're all just trying to be the best that we can be and so how can we point brands very powerful brands um in that in a, in a direction that's helpful for us all yeah. um and i think it, as in some of the research that i was doing for the book you know the world's top 50 brands together um have the power of um a, a, the fifth largest country in the world mm -hmm. um, GDP terms so I mean collectively if we were really conscious of you know working together 
um, in a legal way <laughs> to, uh, you know, to, to help the world um, uh, and help humanity for the future, then should we take that opportunity or should we just ditch that as a bad idea? I don't know. I mean, working at Nike just gave me the confidence to ask some of the questions without knowing the answers yeah. and work on things that people think are, um, you know, collectively useful. Yeah. One sort of final question, the, the term innovation or innovative, everyone applies to their products today. Hmm. Um, it's ubiquitous and it's it sort of got to the point where it's quite hard to define what is innovation um, today. And many products are 2.0, 3.0 versions of the original product. So they're more evolutionary than innovative, if you like. As the sort of former head of global brand innovation at Nike, do you do you have a definitive definition of what the difference is between an evolution of a product and a truly innovative product? I'm going to separate my answer from Nike because I'm, uh, I'm not authorized to yeah, talk about yeah, Nike. Of course. Um, but what I will tell you is that in speaking to consumers around the world, they know the difference between mm -hmm. innovation and evolution. And they we are not pulling the wool over their eyes when every brand in the world goes out and talks about innovation and the latest this and the latest that yeah. they know the difference An innovation happens once in a lifetime um a real one um or once in 20 years i mean that, that's how often in their mind an innovation yeah. happens it's not the latest season's colorway or um you know some an app update that's not innovation so i agree with you and i agree with them um innovation is a massively overused word and we're only fooling ourselves yes. if we keep talking about evolutions as innovations yeah and just before we go um, we always ask our guests to provide a couple of tips and recommendations to our listeners to take away and think about and use in their business um, with your book in mind what would they be from your perspective um i would one tip would be um to get to know yourself better mm -hmm. <laughs> and what i mean by that is um understand the role that you are playing um, in the world, in your life, um, in your community, um, in the future, if you like, um, but know yourself better, know what your strengths are, know what you love to do, um, spend some time really connecting with what your insides are telling you, what that tiny little voice says to you that you keep pushing to one side, because Knowing what you're prepared to fight for um, as it relates to um, yourself and your family and those around you is a really important start point to knowing how you can then deploy the resources that you have at hand. And for some people, the resources that they have at hand are these ginormous brands that can make a massive difference. And they have so much resource and so much potential and so much um, influence in the world if you can really know yourself and know the power of your brand then you can take a stand for how you want to deploy that and some people might 
choose to just you know to keep making the money and keep doing mm-hmm. the thing and that's absolutely fine um but for other people you can think about you know what do i have um in my arsenal to try and make this world a better place and whether that's um you know picking some um sustainable development goals or whether that's um solving for mental health or making a stand for equality or solving climate change whatever those things whatever you choose do something with it don't just show up and get paid Sarah it's been a real uh, pleasure to have you on the show today thank you so much thank you very much it's been lovely thank you very much if you like what you've just heard in our chat with Sarah and would like to purchase her brilliant new book brand new world just go to the links and the notes that accompany this podcast And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. We genuinely appreciate it. And if you'd like to subscribe to the new PL and keep up to date with all our latest news, go to principlesandleadership.com and subscribe. And just before we go, thanks again to the sponsors of this podcast mini-series, the Carroll Consultancy Group. Please check out the links in the notes that accompany this podcast as well. We're very grateful for the Carroll Consultancy sponsorship. Also, if this is your first introduction to the new PNL, please check out our other podcasts in the series, the new PNL Deep Discussions, which are our weekly conversations with inspirational business leaders and entrepreneurs, which we publish each Wednesday, and our new PNL to the Point, which is our 10-minute weekly analysis and summary of the big weekly interviews, usually published on a Friday. Finally, I'm Paul, host of the new PNL Business Book Review Club. Thank you so much for listening today. Have a great day and speak soon.